This is a pod. A pod about dogs. Healthy dogs. It's the healthy dog pod. Thank you to the sponsor of this season of the Healthy Dog Pod, Field Day. Field Day is an Australian-made and owned dog health and wellness brand that creates products to help your dog live the best and healthiest life, inside and out. Field Day has a range of whole food meal toppers that target the top four health concerns for dogs. Joints, digestion, anxiety, and skin. They're also really easy to use. You simply add them to the food that your dog already loves. You can also look after your dog's skin and coat health with Field Day's brand new grooming range. Field Day also donates 1% of all online profits to Pets of the Homeless. This is a charity that works to help keep vulnerable people and their pets together by alleviating the burden of providing essential pet care during times of hardship. You can shop the Field Day range online now at fieldaypet.com.au and use the code HDP10 for 10% off site-wide. That's HDP10 for 10% off. Now it's time to get to the show. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. Today we've got me and Sophie as always. And with today we've joined with Mel Ritterman from Cooper and Kids down in Melbourne. Hey Mel. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure, mate. Nice to see you again. Um, I'd love you to start us off with just a little intro in who you are and what we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. So I am a dog trainer and a mum to three little kids and also my golden retriever, Cooper, hence the name of my business, Cooper and Kids. Um, And I specialise in all things kids and dogs. So child and dog safety, um, helping to prepare parents um, when they're expecting their first baby, helping to prepare dogs, helping dogs when the babies then start moving, as that can often be a very challenging time for some dogs. And then I also do a lot of work with families that have young kids that want to introduce puppies into their into their homes. Um, and it's really all about helping to train the whole family, because when you get a new puppy, Puppy training is very different when you've got children in the home. So, um, yeah, that's, I think, what we're going to focus our chat on today. Um, Because of COVID, there's been so many new puppies entering our world and families being home, wanting to get new dogs. So it has, it's been a real juggle and a struggle for lots. That's been something I've been focusing on a lot with my clients. Um, But yeah, my training is really all about helping people to really understand their dogs better um, and how to live a happy and safe life together. I don't come in and try and train dogs to be robots. Um, You know, that's not what I'm all about. It's really about helping people to just, yeah, have fun and enjoy life with their dogs and kids together. Yeah. Like it's really, um, really, I've seen you work, you know, I've had you uh, come up to Sydney and work with me and my team. Um, we generalize in what we do. So it was really cool to get your insight as somebody that works in that niche area. And the attention to detail was so cool. Just like, it wasn't just generic information. There was real, like we were able to really delve into some really cool topics and things that we'd, me and the team hadn't even considered before. So I'm looking forward to today. Um, We're going to be, like you said, we're going to be talking putting a bit of emphasis on 
puppies and babies, right? Because obviously working with kids and dogs, there's all these different areas, um, toddlers and older dogs and different age groups. But today, if we tried to cover it all, I don't think we'd stand a chance. So <laughs> let's, uh, why, why have we chosen puppies and babies? I mean, obviously we've got the COVID answer, but what's, what, what's, uh, what spikes your interest most in that area? Look, um, when you say puppies and babies, uh, I like to hope that people do the two separately. Um, I think puppies and babies in themselves are probably two of my favourite things on the planet, um, but they both require a lot, you know, a lot of time, effort, care, love and all of that. So if you are expecting a baby and thinking about getting a puppy, um, you know, I really want you to think about setting yourself up for success. Um, and my recommendation, and this is just a recommendation because it all depends on the person, the dog, uh, the baby, the child, but I don't recommend getting a dog if, you, uh, if you've got kids in the home until your youngest child is about four to five years of age. So when we talk about getting a puppy, when we've got a baby or a toddler, it's generally not something that I recommend purely because it's a big juggle and it's very challenging to get it right. And, you know, really that first year of a puppy's life, we really want to dedicate to getting it right, setting them up to be a beautiful family dog. And when we've got a baby or a toddler running around in the home, all that beautiful hard work we put into training, fortunately, like kids of that age just can't comprehend listening and helping and following instructions. So it can be really interesting. And, and as I said, it, it does just depend because I've worked with families that have a 12 month old baby and they get a puppy and things go beautifully, you know? Yeah. So it is doable, especially for people that aren't first-time dog owners, yeah. but for first-time parents and first-time dog owners, you know, things are challenging. And, and my, my main message is I want you to enjoy your baby and I want you to enjoy your puppy. And it can be quite challenging to enjoy them together. Um, yeah, that, that, that's the puppies and the babies. Yeah, that's a challenge. Well, you know, and I'm really glad we opened up on that because anybody considering you know these options in the future that's going to be really valid information to take forward with them um the reality of when we get a phone call is normally you know it looks something like uh we've just moved home we're we've got a puppy and now we're pregnant or you know those three things, <laughs> it's like the perfect storm of how to make life difficult yeah. Um, and if anybody, we just don't recommend it. Like, yeah. I think honestly, people forget, like even I go and sit puppies and I go, I am not ready for a puppy yet. Like they are so much work, you know, the toilet training, the sleeping, the leash walking, the biting, like there's, there's so much more that you have to think about. And I think we kind of forget about that as well. We're just like, oh, we want this cute little puppy. And then adding a baby into the mix absolutely it's it, it's a whole new level you know of management and really you know the time that you need to put in but then also you can't just go and have a shower you know you've got to think to yourself before you have a shower okay where's the baby where's the dog let's make sure they're safe you know like so you've really got to start thinking about 
everything. And as a new mum who's sleep deprived and hormonal and, you know, dealing with a, like, that's just hard. That's, yeah, hard. <laughs> yeah. And, and people tend to uh, gravitate to one of two extremes, either how everything can go wrong or that it's going to be magic rainbow land where everything is amazing and we've got free range puppy baby relationship um and what i think we'd like I'd, I'd love to do today is just go through some realities like what are the things that people can put in place to make sure that they set themselves up for success um you know me and you have worked on a couple of cases together where we're, we're teaching people how to put things in place and we're not necessarily it's not necessarily that it's going to go wrong but making sure that things are set up in so that you can take your time if you need to because what we don't want is everybody to find themselves in the deep end and then got nothing to help them swim yeah, yeah absolutely so look i think you know where you can wait a little bit longer before getting that puppy if you do have kids so the older the children the easier it's going to be you know babies when they start moving till about age four are quite unpredictable for for dogs for puppies you know especially when they're just learning to walk or they're crawling they're pulling themselves up they're like little unpredictable drunks really and that's quite scary for dogs <laughs> they are and they grab and they their, their movement is really erratic so you know waiting till your child is past that stage is going to be easier on the dog but also easier on the parents because they follow your instructions and they can help you know you can get mm. them involved and and my programs that are you know for kids and puppies are really aimed for kids that are aged four to five till about 10 and we get them involved in training in feeding in playing you know so that instead of saying to our kids no don't do this no don't do that get away from the puppy we're really proactive and we get them really involved in the day-to-day -day interactions which is so much fun and it's the best way to build relationships you know by getting them involved in those safe and fun and positive ways so going back to your actual question, <laughs> which I just veered off from, um, you know, what do we do? How do we set, how do we set them Look up? So I think my number one thing is teaching families about dog body language. I think that is key to living with kids mm -hmm. and dogs. I think it's key to owning dogs. Everybody should understand dog body language. Um, and as early as we can teach it to our children as well is really, really important. So, you know, no dog generally will bite without warning. Uh, more often than not, there are warnings and it's just a matter of us learning to understand them. And I always show um, the aggression ladder, which I we can put that potentially in the show notes. I don't love the name of it. I wish it was called the ladder of communication because it really is a ladder going from green to orange to red, showing the steps that dogs go through when they're feeling uncomfortable until they reach a grouse snap or bite. And it's a yeah. matter of understanding those signs in the green section. You know, we want to understand, we want to see when a dog licks their lips, yawns, turns their head away, shakes off, shows their whale eyes. You know, there are so many of these subtle signs that dogs do to let us know when they're feeling uncomfortable and if we can help them in those moments 
or we can at least see that they're feeling uncomfortable and stop what we're doing that's making them feel uncomfortable, we're going to help to build up that relationship and that trust and respect. And once we see it, we start pointing it out to our kids and our kids are going to start seeing it. And that starts from really, really young. You know, I, I know, Ian, you told me about some age that you heard of kids learning body language was quite old, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, geez, even now I'm forgetting, even now I'm forgetting right now, I think it might've been six or seven. Um, yeah. Before, before they can start really predicting what dogs, but like you pointed out when, when I highlight, highlighted that, there it really does come down to the individual like that's yeah. what you taught me it comes down to the individual kid absolutely yeah. like my daughter is like an old soul and she's always been so aware of everything and she's six now and she's been able to understand dog body language now for the past two years easily whereas my five-year-old son really could not care less and, you know, he, he doesn't want to learn. So he doesn't listen to me when I talk about it. Whereas my daughter is like, she hears it and she, she just copies. So, you know, she will call the dog over to her, give him a good pat on his bum because that's where he loves it. And then if she sees him yawn, she says, mom, he just yawned and she'll stop. You know, she knows that that means he's had enough, um, which is so cool to see our kids actually copying that. So silly as it sounds, the more we actually say it out loud, the more our kids are going to hear it and see it and start to copy. Yeah. Yeah. So, Identifying so that the kids can actually then relate to it. And that we know empowers kids. Like everybody loves being right. And kids are no different. So when they start nailing it and we start acknowledging the kids for being right, it really just does develop a learning culture within the family, within the home environment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so once we, we can teach people about, you know, these subtle signs, you know, then we've got to look at what do we do? So when we see these signs, as I said, we, we can stop doing what it is, you know, like if the dog doesn't like to be patted on the head, they let out a yawn, which my beautiful Cooper will do every time. Um, it's just his way of saying, Hey, I don't like that. So we've just got to stop. He loves a bum rub, you know? So it's this, me understanding his body language is me working out what he likes and what he doesn't like, and then being able to give him more of what he likes. So we stop doing what it is, or if it's something that's stressing them out, we give them distance from that thing, you know? So it might be that they're resting on the floor and all of a sudden the little baby starts crawling towards them and we just see them do a little head turn or a little lip lick that is their way of letting us know that, hey, I don't want that child getting any closer to me. So in that moment, we're just going to redirect the kid away. We're going to distract. We're going to do what we can in a really happy way to make sure that we listen to our dog because they are trying to communicate yeah. to us. So that's that's number one importance. Um, and then the other thing is, yeah, go for it. I was just going to say, just to, just to dive into that a little bit, I'm going to, I don't want to go into too much, but when you say call the kid away, it's also situational. Something that, again, picked up from you was work with the one, whether it's your kid or the dog that has the best recall. Because sometimes your dog will have better recall than your kid. And so but the <laughs> point is to make sure that you're creating distance between the dog and the potential stressor. Yeah, and absolutely. And if you can't do that, run, run your interference, step in yeah. and get in the middle of them. 
the reason why the reason why I didn't say that in that scenario was because I was talking about a dog that was sleeping or resting you know yeah. and yeah. I do think that it is important that we redirect the dog away if the child is too young to listen mm -hmm. or if the dog is reactive when we pick the child up really close to them and some dogs find that really challenging you know if there is a baby really close to them and the parent picks the baby up some dogs will have a natural reaction to nip you know especially the working herding dogs so like you said it's situational we've got to know the dog we've got to know how they sort of respond and if we can't redirect either the dog or the child we put the adult in between so if we can see the dog's feeling uncomfortable, the child's approaching, you know, we just feel like we can't move either one away. Let's put the adult in between and then try and steer the child away. Um, but yeah, I generally think that dogs do listen better than kids and are easier to <laughs> redirect away from kids. Um, so having a really great, strong recall on your dog or a go find your ball, go get your rope, you know, some of those skills, teaching dogs, those things are really beautiful, positive ways to be able to redirect in those moments. What about like in management terms, you know, having a, a pen for the dog or for the child, you know, what kind of, how do you approach that? Like which one do you decide to put where? So that was my number two on my importance list when we've got kids and dogs is having management in place. Okay. Um, some people are so closed off to it. You know, they just don't want to put a baby gate in their house. They don't want to, you know, put a playpen. They're just, they, they don't want to ruin the design or how pretty their house looks. So number one, you can get nice looking stuff to help separate. The reason why we separate kids and dogs, right, is, is for safety, number one but also to help give everybody a break because managing and watching puppies and kids together or dogs and toddlers and babies together is a full on job. It's tiring for parents. Okay. It's really tiring for parents. But think about how tiring it is for the dog too, to know that there's yeah. always going to be a child approaching them. They're struggling to rest. They're struggling to sleep. So looking at baby gates and play pens and closing doors and things like that, it shouldn't be seen as a punishment. It should be seen as a way to give the dog a break from the child and give the parents a break from supervising 24 seven. Um, I do think it's really important that, you know, depending on the dog that we build up to making the dog feel safe and happy on the other side of whatever it is we use. So I use a lot of Kongs and licky mats and topples and snuffle mats and all those different fun enrichment toys. Um, I find them very helpful in managing a home with kids and dogs and a really beautiful way to make separation a real positive thing. Well, that separation though is really important, you know, whether it's probably, I mean, I'm not a dad yet. I can't wait, but I'm not yet. But one thing that we know with puppies is, we don't want to create an over-dependency to the point where we get separation issues. And same deal, I'm sure, with kids. Like, if we want to make sure that they've got healthy degrees of separation from one another, so they've got the coping skills. And, you know, I, I use this example a lot, but I, I love my partner more than anyone on this earth, but I also appreciate time on my own. And I think it's weird and unhealthy to be around anyone 24 hours a day. So yeah, it's it, we all know about that now too, especially with COVID. Like you know, more than ever, we appreciate time to ourselves. <laughs> Just saying it before, I've had the house to myself, and then my father's home, and I'm like, 
this idea, like people get caught up. I think they get wrapped up in the idea that I want them to be best friends. Yes. Like my best friends are also the people that know when to leave me alone. And yes. that's yes. a big factor. Yes. So, so Ian, I actually, I go into homes and very often I say to the kids, how do you feel, you know, when mum and dad just want to hug and kiss you all day long, you know, or how do you feel when you get woken up from your sleep? You know, really put put it on them and, and they don't want to be smothered by their parents all day long. Oh my gosh, like no way. So, you know, and then I say, well, and the puppy feels the same way too you know yeah. and and really puppies need 18 to 20 hours sleep a day which is huge so it mm. is so important that they get uninterrupted sleep but it's so hard for kids to get that so it's a constant battle but a playpen is a beautiful way to give them that separation and get that sleep without I mean, hopefully being poked and prodded i mean that actual location as well uh can really help uh, identify it for the whole family I've found you know uh, kids that are old enough to get this I've had you know those conversations where especially if they've got siblings they really get this they'll I'll have the conversation around okay so you're in your bedroom and your sister walks in how do you feel the first time well they're normally a little bit they're more tolerant they might actually enjoy it but then I'm like what about the second and what about the third and then they go, oh, no, 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 I just want, I just wanted to go away. I just want my space. And we can then transfer the same emotional feeling around their personal space to make that how the, understandable for how the puppy feels about his personal space. Um, and then we've got the other side of the coin completely, which is actually making the puppy comfortable with that idea of being separate, which is another matter altogether. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, another nice thing that I do with kids too, you know, when puppies are sleeping or resting is, and this is very age dependent because some kids will look at me and roll their eyes. Um, but the, for the younger kids is teaching them to wave, blow a kiss, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, when it's bedtime, my two-year-old always wants to say goodnight to Cooper, but Cooper's fast asleep at that point on my bed. Um, so we, we blow him a kiss every night. You know, that that is such a, a time. That's a very common moment where dog bites occur, where dogs are fast asleep, child is going to bed at night, goes up to the dog, gives it a kiss on the head to say goodnight. You know, we just, yeah, dangerous situation. So where we can, we want to teach kids, leave sleeping, resting dogs alone, leave dogs alone when they're eating if they insist on interacting yeah waving blowing kisses that is the best thing that they can do and you know kissing and hugging dogs isn't the way dogs show affection to each other and that's a really hard thing for kids to understand too like that's how we as humans uh show affection to each other but that's not how dogs do so by yeah. understanding the body language we can find the things that the dogs love to do and that's what we want to get the kids involved in. That's how we're going to actually build relationships and bonds between kids and dogs. Well, I saw on your story recently, which I really loved, is getting the kids involved um, with feeding time. So getting the kids to actually smush the banana on the licky mat and getting the kids to fill the calm. And then, you know, I think that's really good getting them involved in that way. Yeah. I really liked that, that you did that. Do you have any more yeah. kind of things that you can oh, So so much fun. So my two-year-old yesterday actually asked me if he could do that, which I, I loved him. because he just, he loves Cooper so much and he just doesn't know how to express it. Yeah. And 
he's a golden retriever. So if you want to show him that you love him, you're going to feed him. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, getting him involved in like, yeah, putting the little pieces in the little spots, you know, all that stuff for a two-year-old that is so good for them. Like, you know, it builds up skills, Um, but it's a beautiful bonding activity, like making him be the one to put it on the floor and give it to the dog. Um, You know, I scatter feed my dog often you know we've got a big front yard with grass and instead of feeding him his breakfast in a bowl we'll go outside and throw his breakfast in the grass but when I do it like why should I do it the kids want to do it you know so hey let's call all three kids over and you can all have a go you again you've got to know your dog and if the dog is not okay with that you might put the dog in another room while the kids do it and then bring them out with Coops, we just ask him to sit and he watches us scatter the food and then we tell him to go find it and he goes and finds it. Um, but making sure that the kids stand back when the dog is eating, we don't want to get too close. Um, that's an awesome one. There's so look, there's so many games and things that you can do with kids and dogs that are fun. And that and that's um, you know, probably message number three is kids need to be the good ones in this. So they're never to be the ones to tell the puppy off. They're never to be the ones to take a toy or to take a shoe, sorry, out of the puppy's mouth. You know, if something does go wrong and they need help, they are to call their parents, okay? So, you know, I want kids to be like Santa Claus. They're going to be the ones always bringing the good toys, the good games. They're always going to be using treats for training. We always want them to be seen as the good ones because building, you know, relationships between kids and dogs is so important statistics around dog bites to kids in the family home by a family dog or a dog they know is gigantic so the last study I saw it was like 84 percent or something of dog bites are yeah to children in the family home look the study was done quite a few years ago I think it was like 2018 um but huge in America at 77 percent um I know in Canada it uh tripled during COVID so the more we can fill up you know our dogs buckets and really do good stuff um you know and build up those relationships in safe ways that the dog enjoys the more we're going to avoid this stuff from happening um and I think I'm watching I know that you guys can't see Soph but I'm like watching her body she's like shivering as we I literally just got shivers like I literally did when you said that my whole body just shivered so you know so so being able to understand body language as I said before is so important because no dog actually wants to bite it's just their way of communicating because they haven't been heard it's like they've just had enough already um and yeah so the more we can do really awesome stuff with kids and dogs the more we can help our dogs when they feel uncomfortable we're going to be able to avoid that stuff from happening um and also this is another one to mention is really teaching kids not to approach and invade a dog's space so when they want to interact we give the dog a choice and this is what I said before about you know do you like being hugged and kissed all day from your parents well no not a dogs so let's ask them let's sit on the floor if it's a puppy and let's call them over if they come running over and they come sitting on our lap yeah let's give them a pat but let's make sure that we don't hold them so they can't get out you know, we want to always give them an option to escape if they want to escape. Um, and if they don't feel like a hug, a pat, a game, we just leave them alone, which is a very hard concept for kids to grasp. I think a big thing as well is like you said it yourself, uh, like 
we've got to set the kids up that comes from the parents educating the parents like actually making sure that old school mentalities of well it's a dog it should tolerate my children that's a fast way to get your dog bitten uh, sorry your kid your kid bit <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I have had parents reach out to me and say, how do I get my toddler to stop biting my dog? Oh, I bet you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, I have. Um, That's the waiting to happen. But the, the, um, parents uh, can go a long way to making sure that they model what they want to see. So being, being respectful of their dog space themselves, uh, not doing behaviors that while the dog might tolerate it for the parents, like putting your face in the dog's face, like if your dog loves it when you do it, that's great, but don't do it in front of your kids because your kids are going to mirror that behavior and copy it. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster. And I love that. I love that you're saying this. I feel like you really listened to our session together because I feel like you've taken the words out of my mouth. It's beautiful. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> but also, um, oh, no. not just the behavior, but they being our dogs. You froze. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. We're good. That's all. I was saying um, the language that we're using when we're talking about our dogs and describing our dogs' behavior because they're going to copy that too. So we should avoid going, oh, Cooper's naughty and Cooper's this and Cooper's that. We should make sure that we are make, like representing our dog and being our dog's advocates so the kids really are respectful of it and not looking down on their dog in a derogatory way. Um, that power of language is massive and that can literally change how the, we interact with our dogs on a subconscious level because if we're automatically thinking and the kids are automatically thinking this, oh, this dog's so naughty and this dog's so stubborn they're going to see him in a negative light um yeah, yeah. so yeah just being being an advocate and you know we could do the same we could all be good at that for our children as well yeah and look and especially when we're dealing with puppies with razor blade teeth you know, really letting people know that um you know their sharp teeth they're not hurting them. They're not doing it because they want to hurt them. They're doing it because that's how puppies play with other puppies. You know, they're not intentionally being mean. I think once kids realize that and what's going on, you know, we can, we can make a friendship happen because I often see kids that are actually scared of their new puppy. You know, they're so excited to bring this dog home. And then all of a sudden they're just running away because they just can't deal with these teeth. And actually running away is just going to make the problem a whole lot worse. Well, it's a um, that age. How do you... Yeah. So I had a case recently and th that happened. So the kids were so scared of the dog and they were running away, which the dog was going, hey, we're playing and then trying to bite them even more. So how do you kind of go about managing that situation? So we teach them to freeze like a tree. Okay. So we stand, we plant our feet. So if the dog starts to bite, whether they're sitting on the floor, whether they're standing, wherever they are, they stand up and they freeze. They put fold their hands down. Um, I've got an article actually on this that has photos in it, so we can include that. Um, so, yeah, just standing as still as possible and shouting once, mom or dad, um, and getting someone to come and help and redirect the puppy in that moment. So, you know, just 
the tip, the usual way that we teach of, you know, if we're running and screaming, we're actually giving the puppy attention and turning it into a game versus if we stand really still, the puppy's going to realize, hey, this is really boring and probably just walk away anyway. But some puppies will be very persistent, especially around pieces of clothing like socks and slippers and toes and things like that. So getting a parent involved to redirect in that moment is perfect as well. And if there are older siblings too, and they see it happening, they can absolutely redirect the dog away too. Yeah. There's also yeah. a couple of games I've seen you work with before as well, Mel, where just some confidence building games uh, between kids and dogs. Like uh, one might be where supervised always supervised uh kids just if they're if they're nervous about calling the dog towards them just from a height even just throwing the treat away or puppy ping pong where they're just calling the puppy to get them to come to the hand take the treat gently yeah um, absolutely there's so many fun games the, the other thing that i think is really important to raise as well um is and it ties in with a couple of things we've talked about today with you know, when you freeze, you call your call mum or dad or sibling. Uh, when we've got gates, uh, is the level of supervision. There's different levels of supervision, Mel. So, and understanding that is really important. So, I would love you to just unpack that yeah. a little bit for us. So, look, um, you know, I I did my course in babies and toddlers with an organization in America called Family Pause. Um, they've got a beautiful handout on the different levels of supervision. So according to them, there's five different levels of supervision. Um, and really where we want to be with our supervision is active. We want to have two active eyes on our kids and dogs. And I'm going to say at all times, but, you know, not at all times, because when we don't, we're going to use management, which is proactive supervision. Um, but yeah, active supervision is so important. So, you know, if you're asleep, that's not active supervision. Um, you know, that's called absent supervision. If you're cooking in the kitchen and you've got your back to your kids and your dog, that's also not active supervision because you're not actually watching. So you need to have active eyes on kids and dogs. And look, it also, in terms of the age of the kids and the dog, again, it, it just depends at what age this kind of needs to stop. But again, the statistics with dog bites to kids are quite high around boys in particular aged five to nine, you know? And I, and I think a lot of people think that supervision around that age can stop because you trust your kids. But unfortunately, you know, when kids get older, they actually get rowdier and the way they play and interact is very different. Trust me, I'm seeing this in my house at the moment, you know, it's, it's next level. You, you have a newborn and you think that's the hard stage. And then all of a sudden they start moving and you think that's hard. But then as they get older, it's it's full on. So um, you start saying no to the kids, they're like, well, I want to do it more now because you said no, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. So, you know, just knowing and like I know that when my kids are like that as well, that that's a beautiful moment to pop my dog outside with a licky mat. He yeah. actually loves being outside when he's got a Kong or a licky mat. He's so happy, especially when the kids are going crazy inside because he knows yeah. he's getting a break and he's getting something delicious. So it's a win-win for all. Um, We've got to be careful yeah. because like the, pre the precursors to it going wrong can look quite innocent. You know, I've seen the, the, the simplest precursor to uh, the ki kids getting jumped on uh, or even bitten is the dog, when the activity levels spike in the children, 
the dog shows more intensity, uh, just shadowing. And we, if we're not careful, sometimes, of course, it's very innocent and the dog genuinely wants to play. But if you're seeing shadowing and nice, loose behavior, then that's probably what you're looking at. But if you're seeing shadowing and tension and standing and staring, you're probably seeing your dog communicating in his own way, but to the trained eye very clearly, I'm finding this really stressful. And, and also licking, a lot of licking, excessive licking in those moments too. A lot of people think that means, oh my God, my dog loves my kid, they're obsessed. But that obsessive licking can actually mean your dog is incredibly overwhelmed and stressed. So like you said, it's looking at the whole body in those moments um, and giving the dog some direction. Yeah. And that's why, go back to your first point about body language, you know, yeah. get somebody in that can really explain to you, just objectively watch a situation and go, this is how your dog is interpreting this. Because we have this emotional connection with our own families and our own dogs. And sometimes it does take that objective lens to just filter through all the emotion and go, oh no, yeah. that's what's really happening. Yeah. I think at the moment, you know, TikTok and Instagram are kind of killing this industry a bit because you see them people putting kids on dogs and like making them sit together. And I'm almost watching them cringing because I can see all these body language signals and just yeah. going, how can they not see what's going on? So I think it's so important to definitely, you know, learn about that, get someone to teach you about that. Because in the end, if the dog does bite the child, it's always going to be the dog's fault in the end unfortunately so yeah. very rarely the dog's fault right yeah right exactly exactly so just just going back as well to the types of supervision as well you know another one of the types of supervision is reactive supervision where a parent will be watching but when they see something about to go wrong, we'll jump in and react in a negative way and scream and shout. Um, and look, we're all human. Uh, I've screamed and shouted as well, but it never works. It never helps. And actually what it can do is start to create a negative association between the dog and the child, where either the dog starts so to become fearful of the child or yeah. the child starts to become fearful of the dog. So yeah. that's what we were talking about before about redirecting in a positive way rather than acting in a reactive way. That's really, really yeah. important. And the best way to avoid that is with, with effective management, with your baby gates, with making sure that you are proactive to avoid being reactive. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not actively supervising with two eyes, yeah baby gates, play pens, closing doors. That is the safest way to go, guys. Sure. Okay, mate, that has been so good. It's so informative. Um, I always love listening to you speak. <laughs> oh, I love it. And just, and just to add in as well, like, you know, I know we, I didn't really go into anything in detail in terms of games and activities um, for kids and dogs, but I've got a lot on my um, Instagram, on my IGTVs. I've got a few more coming because I filmed a whole lot of stuff for Get Wag. So I've got a whole lot of fun videos that I've done with my kids and Cooper. Um, yeah, there's just, there's lots of videos, lots of ideas, rainy day activities to do with kids and dogs. So that's a good place to look. We, uh, we include all of that in the, uh, yeah. in the resources with the with the episode yeah definitely awesome 
Well, thank you for having me. It's always fun chatting. You know, we could always, <laughs> you know, we could always talk for days about this stuff. Whenever we get chatting, it's never short. So yeah, you got to cut me off. <laughs> oh, that's all right. We'll just have you back another day. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mel. It's, uh, it's no worries. See you guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Dog Pod. We know we did. Thank you again to our sponsor, Field Day, for making this season of the Healthy Dog Pod possible. And remember, folks, a healthy dog's a happy dog. Woo! And that was the pod. The Healthy Dog Pod.